0: Thank you, Brother Williams, for the good songs this morning. We do want to, uh, assuming all hearts are free, we do want to turn our attention to the the Word of God at this time, and uh, and Bo's a little riled up this morning, and that's all right. It must be feeding time. Well, we want to turn our thoughts and our attention to the Word of God this morning. And, uh, and I'd like to take for a thought today, or a sermon topic today, Go and Sin No More. And we're going to take our lesson text out of the 7th chapter of the book of Luke, and we're going to begin in the 29th verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 29. And so I got a rather lengthy reading lesson this morning, longer than I typically do, uh, to get us started, but I think it's necessary to get all the, all the background information that we can see here. And so starting in the 29th verse of the 7th chapter of Luke, and the 20, uh, we say, it reads as thus, and all the people that heard him, meaning Christ, <clears throat> and the publicans, uh, sorry, and let's start that over, and all the people heard him, uh, and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of Him. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to to what are they like? They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man, a wine bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisees' house and sat down to meat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with the tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed, his, uh, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with the ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven the same loveth little and he said unto her thy sins are forgiven and they sat at meat and they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves who is this that forgiveth sins also and he saith to the woman thy faith hath saved thee go in peace and so we're going to stop right there and now obviously there's something that's missing in that text isn't it and that is the, our subject, which is "Go and sin no more," and we're going to touch on that here in just a minute. Um, but as we get into this lesson, you know, we see first and foremost that you you always see the Pharisees and the lawyers as it as it pertains to points of the law. You always see them contesting Christ as it as as it concerns the law, doesn't he? Because at, that's the way they went about everything. Everything was a contest. Uh, and there's not a lot of peace to be found when everything is contestable, is there? Uh, why do you think people like sports as much as they do? Because they love a good contest, don't they? But not everything needs to be a contest in the vein that there has to be a winner and a loser. Uh, the Pharisees could have accepted... Uh, what they had heard and what they had seen, and they could have moved forward with seeing how it fit within the confines and construct of the law, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to take their perception of the law and their, their interpretation of the law, and they wanted it broadly applied. And if it didn't apply, uh, if, if it wasn't applied in the way that they had dictated it should be applied, then they found fault, didn't they? And so they found fault with Christ here. And one of the things that they noticed uh, here once he comes into the house of Simon uh, is this woman that comes in the house. And now twice, uh, or right here in the 37th verse, it talks about this woman. Uh, and Christ has gone in to eat with this Pharisee. Uh, and here comes this woman in off the street. Now, we don't know the name of this woman. Now, it can get confusing, and at times I myself have often thought that this was Mary Magdalene. Uh, in the account that's written over in John chapter 12. Because it is very similar as what Mary Magdalene did there before when she anointed Christ for his death. Because she had an alabaster box of ointment, she applied it to Christ. But the difference is here, this ointment in the alabaster box that this woman has, she's only applying it to his feet. Uh, and she's washing his feet, and she's applying the ointment to his feet, and she's wiping his feet with the hairs of her head. And we see that Mary Magdalene, while she also used the hairs of her head to wipe his feet, she broke the alabaster box of ointment so that it ran down, not just over his head, but it would run down over his beard. It was a much bigger box of ointment that was very precious and very valuable, and it would have run down over his garment, uh, and that would have been the fragrance that, Christ would have had on him as they marched him through the streets, as they beat on him and spat on him and all the things that they did, and as they crucified him, that would have been the scent that would have went home with those Roman soldiers that day. So it was a lot more that Mary Magdalene used than what this woman used. So we don't know this woman's name, and, that's, and, and to be quite perfectly frank, it's better that we don't. Because we can see that this is getting, getting more broadly applied. It's not just... Applied in one single instance, but this is more broadly applied. This is applies to anybody because all have sinned and come short of the glory of the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you're lost and you're not, you have not been saved, uh, then you need to seek the Lord for salvation while you can. Uh, you need to experience the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God and let that slay the inner man. And then you need to come and you need to seek the Lord that you may be born again and be regenerated a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so we see here that the Bible tells us very plainly that this woman, that she was a sinner. Uh, And and it makes no bones about it. Now here's the issue. That is a broad term, isn't it? You can read sinner and you can actually have it mean A lot of different things. Luke is using it in a very specific way in this chapter here. And so we're going to look at that in terms of the word sinner. What was this woman known for? Well, we can look in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. So he uses it in the same way here, doesn't he? Publicans and sinners. Luke uses it the exact same way. But what's the meaning behind the word? We see this word used again in Matthew chapter 21 verse 31 and Matthew clears it up for us doesn't he? And so he says unto him, he says, Wherefore, whether of them twain did the will of his father and this is concerning the man who had two sons. They said unto him the first. That was the one who resisted the command of his or the request of his father first uh, and then repented and went and did it, whereas the second son said, yeah, I'll do that, and he never did it. And so he says, "...whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first, and Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you." And so She's a very specific, she is known for this uh specific sin, isn't it? It defines her character, it defines who she has been in the side of the Pharisees. She's been a harlot. We know her as a harlot, yet here he is, letting this harlot touch him. Uh, and uh and so uh we see this back and forth taking place. Uh and this woman still the whole time uh has not said a word. Have you noticed that? you're not going to be saved through an abundance of words. You're not going to come before the Lord. You're not going to pronounce yourself saved. This woman knew that holiness was in her presence, and by the virtue of that, she knew that she wasn't. (laughs) That was demonstrated to her. And each one of us that are sitting here today, each one that has been born again of the Spirit of God, each one of us that that has uh, a a time and a place where the Lord has spoke peace, um, not just peace, where the Lord has regenerated us, a new creature in Christ, where the old man died and the new man was created And built and rose like Phoenix from the ashes, I would say, uh, from the ashes of the old man that had died. Nevertheless, the nature of that old man still resides in the flesh. And that's what we resist and struggle against. But she's not said a word. She doesn't, she's not recorded as ever saying a word. It's her actions, isn't it, that, that testify to the fact that she knows that she's got a problem and there's only one that can remedy it. And that's what sin is. That's what it is. It, it is a problem that is in need of a remedy, and it's not a remedy that the world has a supply for. If you're going to be remedied of the, bur- of the, of, of the sin sickness, that's that, the, 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 the cure for that proceeds forth from heaven and from heaven on I can't have you come forward and say, do this, say this, and you'll be saved. That's just not the way that it works. I know that a lot of the world would love to say that that is the way it works. Haven't you read Romans chapter 10, Brother Fugate, where it says, with the mouth thou shalt confess? Uh, and I'm saying, yeah, I have, but haven't you read that next verse where it says, for with the heart man believeth, and then with the mouth, makes profession. Why? Because of the inward change that has taken place. And it's not progressive, is it? It's something that takes place instant- instantaneously. Just like the blind man said, once I was blind and now I see. Once I was lost, now I am found. Uh, and so here, he goes on and he's talking about this woman and she's just doing her own thing. She's Weeping over him. Uh, she's applying that ointment to his feet. She's wiping his feet with the hairs of her head. She's kissing his feet. He says, you weren't even a fine, you weren't even a very good host when I came in your house. You never even shook my hand when you came in the house. Cause we don't, that's what it's talking about there. Doing something, uh, when it says, uh, you never given me a kiss when I came into your house. Uh, you never even acknowledged me in a friendly way when I came into your house. And the Pharisee, all he could focus on was the fact that this woman who was known for the sin of harlotry, right? That he's, all he can think of is the fact that here he is, uh, and he professes to be the Messiah, and he's letting this harlot touch him. And we can't gloss over what her life was before that. It, it, it was what it was. Now, what's amazing is in this, in this subset of Scripture here is we have the omniscience of Christ demonstrated, don't we? In the 39th verse... The Pharisee sees this woman, and he speaks within himself. Now, what we had this conversation today uh, during Sunday school. Now, what it really should say there is the Pharisee had the thought to himself, right? And so, but notice how the how the scripture stated that he spake within himself. You ever have a thought, and you, you ever talk to yourself in your head? Well, I can't hear that audibly but God can. And Christ hears this speech audibly, and he says, if this man were a prophet, then he knows what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, and he reiterates the fact, for she is a sinner. Yes, she is. And all have sin to come short of the glory of the Lord. And so he gets into this back and forth, and, and... I'm not going to go through every instance of that, but he says, look, you're going to love the, whoever you forgive the most. They're going to love you the most, and that's the fact, isn't it? And, and we see that as a, as, a, as a very common thing. As a matter of fact, we're going to go over here and look for just a second uh, at, uh, at this woman. We're going to consider this woman. Uh, we look over in John chapter 8, and we read about another instance where the Pharisees had brought a woman uh, before the Lord, in John chapter eight verse four says, "And they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act." Now the now Moses in the law commanded us commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And they said, "This they said, tempting him." But why? Because the verse of scripture that they're using. It actually, actually isn't talking about adultery. It's talking about false prophets. And we can go over to Deuteronomy and, look, and read that verse, but that's the verse of Scripture that is, that is that they're referencing here, where it says that you would put away the evil from Israel. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that you're not correct. There's another place in the law where the law says that those that engage in or in adultery, you know, that the the penalty for it was to be stoned, but the the verse they're resting their argument upon, they're twisting it because they're tempting him and testing him that they can accuse him. And Jesus stoops down and he writes in the finger on the with his finger on the ground and pretends that he didn't hear them. You know, sometimes when people come to you in their confrontational, the best thing to do is initially. Is just to pretend like you he didn't hear what they said, and to give them time to think about what they're really doing, isn't it? And so he they so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, "He that is without sin among you, let him cast let him first cast a stone at her." So he doesn't say that you're right. She she shouldn't she that he doesn't say that she should not be condemned. death. You're correct. So let the one of you that doesn't have any sin. And here's the problem. They had sin that hadn't been atoned for. The difference is when you get saved you have an adequate atonement for your sin and God casts those sins as far as the east is from the west from you uh, and you are as a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away and all things have become new uh, and that is not to say that in the world, though, that if you've done something that the world says is penalized, worth penalty, that you don't still suffer that penalty, or, or you don't still honor the obli- I want to say it this way: honor the obligation of that penalty. And so here. He says, let them cast a stone at her. Uh, and again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, uh, and w- and they which heard it being convicted in their own conscience, right? Because guess what? Just the same way that that woman there uh, in Nain, Nain, N-A-I-N, The woman there at Nain, the same way that she was convicted when she came into Simon the Pharisee's house, now here these Pharisees are and they stand convicted because they know that here they are trying to condemn this woman to, to, to death for the sin of adultery when they themselves are guilty of sin of different sorts and maybe even the same sort of sin. And they went one by one, being at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in the midst. And when Jesus lifted him up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? And hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go, this is important. Because in the day and the age that we live in, this is used quite a bit to excuse all manner of licentiousness and lewd conduct and lasciviousness, and we'll just go ahead and say it plainly, all all manner and form of sexual immorality Uh, is used, this instance is used as an excuse for it, uh, and they say, well, Jesus uh, forgave her. Absolutely, Jesus forgave her. And I say even more so that Jesus saved her, and then he gives her a command, doesn't he? And he says, go forth and sin no more. Now, that, that verse... Go go and sin no more only appears in two, two places that I could find. The specific verse where it says that, and that is in the instances where we read. And so he gives her this command. It's not a suggestion, is it? He gives her a command, neither do I condemn thee. Why is that? Because if you're here today and you have never been saved, that is, you're still lost in your sins and you're still guilty before God for those sins, that Jesus, He was sent into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him would be saved. Why? Because the world was condemned already. And so we see here that played out very perfectly and very personally. And that's how Jesus works, isn't it? He doesn't work. Uh, it, it, he can work that way. I don't want to shorten the arm of the Lord. If God, if it was God's desire that he would just speak, that every person would be regenerated, whether or not they wanted to or not, he could do that because he's God. But God wants us to adore him. He wants us to love him. But first and foremost, before we can do any of that, we've got to get to a place where we worship Him as God. Well, if we don't worship, if when we come to church, if the motivation behind our assembly is not that we can worship God in spirit and in truth, then I don't know why we come together and, and assemble together every Sunday, every Sunday, on all the Sunday evenings that we assemble together, on the Wednesday nights that we get together. I don't know why we do it if that's not the case. That should be what drives us. We see that one more time where it said, uh, and I'm going to use it here, and that's John chapter five verse fourteen. And this is Jesus speaking to the impotent man in Bethesda. Now, when we read that in the old, when we read that in the King James version, that doesn't go along with our common day lexicon for what impotent means, right? Uh, now, that's the same. That was a definition of it but what it really means is this was just a very weak, very sick, very feeble man. And Jesus... And Jesus was passing by and he's so weak and he's so feeble that he knows that if he could get into the pool of Bethesda when it was troubled that he would be healed. But he's so weak and so tired that he can't do it of his own will and his own strength and his own volition. And so he sits there by that, close by that pool day in and day out praying for that somebody would come and help him to get down in that pool that his condition might be healed. And you look at the situations of the world today and there's so much sickness in the world that's going on. I'm thankful that we can look over into yonder, uh, that we can look over into heaven and we can see a place where there's no sickness and there's no death and there's no pain and all of the things that causes us anguish and heartache and grief in this world, those will not be with us in a place of everlasting joy, in a land of endless day. There's no storm clouds on the horizon in heaven, are there? So Jesus talks to this man and he, after he has already healed him of of his body physically and he also saved him spiritually, that's not to say that every instance where Jesus healed somebody physically that they were saved because otherwise he would have never had to ask the question, where are the nine? Concerning the nine lepers that did not turn back and worship Jesus. So he finds this man who is impotent sitting by the pool in Bethesda, and he finds him in the temple afterward because he's gone in to proclaim that he had been healed by Christ and he got the Pharisees all in an uproar that day because you can't heal on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a 411 for you. Jesus is our Sabbath. <laughs> He is our Sabbath. If any man will come unto me, I will give him rest. So he finds him in the temple and he says unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. So he's now saved him, hadn't he? Listen to what he says. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come upon thee. And so that's another, that's the only other instance where it says specifically, sin no more that I could find in the scriptures was here in John 8 and in, in John chapter 5 verse 14. And so, you know, we look at this and we, and we're going to try to wrap up here, uh, shortly. We look at this here and we go back over to our, uh, our main lesson text and we go back down. Uh, and we see and, and we see this this thing here where the woman she gets saved and 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 Jesus upbraids Simon for his parsimoniousness let's just say it that way and and that is he's not very hospitable is he he didn't roll out the red carpet for Christ his 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 purpose and intent behind inviting Christ to dinner I don't believe it was so that he could inquire of him eternal life the way Nicodemus did. I believe he just wanted to get him alone and get him aside so that he could badger him personally and privately about the things that the others were badgering him openly for because he has the same contempt toward him as the others do. And Jesus points that out from verses 44 to verses 47. Then he turns to the woman and he says, not that uh, her her body's healed, because the issue's not with her body, is it? The issue's with her morals. Well, if you're morally sick, you you can bet your bipper that you're also spiritually sick. They go hand in hand. They are not separable. If you are morally sick, then you can you are you will manifestly declare that you are spiritually sick. Those two are not separable. We want to pretend nowadays that you can live your life however you want to, uh, and and everything's just going to be oh hunky dory. But if you're saved and you are saved to the uttermost by the uh, God in heaven, and you're out here living your life in a way that doesn't manifestly declare that you've been saved but actually it would declare to the contrary, Uh, I think you need to get down on your knees and get something straight in your life because God says that once you've been saved, from that point forward, the standard is holiness, the standard is excellence. Uh, We still have the nature of sin that resides in the flesh. Will we sin? Absolutely. Will we have to seek forgiveness for that sin? Absolutely. But we won't be repenting from dead works again, but instead we'll be just repenting for that sin that we have committed in God's sight, but here's the thing, you better not be known for that sin. Well, if that's what you're known for, there's a book (laughs) that if you really sit down and study it, you're going to have a lot of problem with. And I believe that if you're saved, your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. But don't be so foolish to believe that there aren't people who can put on a good show externally, but still inwardly be full of dead men's bones. He looks at this woman and he says, Woman, thy sins are forgiven thee. Well, I tell you what, isn't it good to know a, a God that can save, that can look on Whatever the sin may be, it could be the most detestable sin you can think of. Paul was a murderer, but God, he met God on the Damascus road, didn't he? And, and Jesus saved him on the Damascus road. See, so he says this woman, Thy sins are forgiven thee, and that thy faith has saved thee And we are going to touch on on this verse of scripture here, where Peter asked this question, you know because it was asked there you know the, the the Jesus posed the question to the pharisee who is who's going to love me more who, who is who's going to who is going to love their lord more those that were forgiven much or those that were forgiven little, And he said those that were forgiven much, and I'm paraphrasing that. <clears throat> but, you know, they'll take that forgiveness that they received, and they will actually, that's one of the things that they'll be known for. And so you may be in a situation in your life where it seems like every... All the people around you just seem to mistreat you and abuse you and treat you wrongfully and do you wrong. And I want to tell you right now that there's no difference now than there was in the day of the apostles, or in the day of Abraham, or even going back all the way uh, to after Noah and them had left the garden. That's always been in the world. It will always be in the world. People will always let you down. Nevertheless. That forgiveness that was spoken of there concerning the woman in Simon the uh, Pharisee's house. I'm going to use this right here in Matthew chapter 18. Peter asked the Lord a question. He says, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now this isn't even talking about from a stranger, is it? This will be akin to one of my church brethren doing something that I may find offensive. uh, And uh, how many times, Lord, should I forgive him? Till seven times? And the Lord responds to him and says, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. In other words, Jesus is saying, that's going to be an identifying characteristic and trait of yours. That the forgiveness that you were shown when your sins were forgiven, that you will always be very quick to forgive. It's It's an identifying characteristic, isn't it? If you've truly been saved, an identifying characteristic is that you are yourself quick to forgive. And you can read the rest of that parable there in uh, Matthew chapter 18. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to close out with this. You know, if you're here today and you're not saved, you need to get that correct. You need to get that solved. You need to get that fixed. And you can't come to me to do it. I can't give you a prayer to pray. I know a lot of Christianity likes to teach that you can give, be given a prayer. Oh, if you'll just repeat this prayer. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, I think people can get saved doing that if their heart is in the correct place, if the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is truly on them. But I think just doing it like that opens it up for those that want to be externally seen as righteous. It makes it very easy for them to just walk right in and then you've got a mess on your hands. What do you think we ought to do? Well, I think you ought to do the same thing that that woman did there in Nain at, the, at, at Simon the Pharisee's house. I think you go right to the Lord. I think you get down... At the feet of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, and you seek Jesus for forgiveness and mercy and grace that He would take that trouble that is in you. And what does that, what is it that's causing that trouble? Just like that woman, you came into contact with holiness. You found and you knew that you were lacking. And not only did you know you were lacking, but you knew you were guilty of the sins. That you had committed in your life, and that guilt is what you cannot get away from. You can, I could. When I was lost, and I'm going to just—I don't generally like to use I references when I preach, but I'll just use this. When I was lost and undone, there wasn't a soul in the house that knew it. When I got under conviction, I refused to go up front and seek the Lord in the in church. I was like, I'm not that weak. And I could distract myself during the day, but you know, at night when I would lay down, there was nowhere to go. There was nowhere to hide. It was just you and the Lord. You're going to get, if you get under conviction, you may be able to distract yourself for a short period of time, but it's not going to be for long because soon enough your sin will find you out. Maybe it'll happen when you're laying in your bed and everything's quiet in the world but the storm raging inside you. remember I said there's no storm clouds in heaven. you know what? That means if there's storm clouds uh, in, in, in you uh, you can't be there. <laughs> no storms no, no, no none of that's going on in heaven. And so all of that all of that is to say this you know, why is it that God tells us to go forth and sin no more? and I, and I, I searched the scriptures as to why this was and I'm going to settle here. And I'm going to use the words of Paul in the, first, in the Philippian letter, in the first chapter, in the beginning in the eighth verse. And Paul writes this, and he says, uh, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. Go forth and sin no more. Why? Because we've got a kingdom to build. (laughs) And no city built on iniquity, no city that is established on blood, cometh to not, or or it cometh to not, I guess I should say. Woe unto the man who establishes the city on iniquity and blood. We don't want to do that. We want to establish it and build it upon and construct it upon the foundation of righteousness, isn't it? Or don't we? What is that foundation? That foundation is the same foundation that he told Peter there when he said, Whom do you say that I am? Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what I'd like you to know this morning is that's not something that he said speculatively. He knew it. He knew it not just intellectually, but he knew it down in the depths of his soul. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And that is the rock that the kingdom of Christ is constructed upon. It's constructed upon righteousness. It's constructed upon holiness. But God would have every person to be a part of it. But you have to come and you have to have a first-hand account, an experience with Him. Because we don't testify of things that we think, do we? We testify of the things that we know. People may treat us despitefully after that. That's okay. Let them do whatever they need to do. You forgive them, and don't let it trouble you. Let the Lord handle it in His time, and He will. Have the faith in God that he will handle those things. But as it pertains to salvation, you better take it up with the Lord, the same way that woman did. You better take it to the Lord in prayer. Don't bring it to the preacher. He can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.